Welcome to the Founder and Funder Experience, brought to you by Valence Advisory and Mattermade. This podcast serves to bring to light the different journeys select founders and funders took to get to where they are today. We hope their lives and their learnings continue to inspire both present and future innovators. Hi, everybody. This is Arjun Dave Arora. I am the founder and managing partner of Valence Advisory. We support funds and founders and help them accelerate their efforts with people, capital, and strategy. And now off to John. Hi, John Liu here. I am the co-founder and advisor at Valence Advisory. I am the lead on leadership and communications coaching. And enough about us, enough about me. Um, today's wonderful guest is Tracy Lawrence. Uh, she's had quite a few different titles over the years, but one could say she's a serial entrepreneur. She's been a CEO, a founder of, of a tech startup. And today on the show, I'd like to introduce her and have her talk a bit about her journey, having never actually worked a formal job until recently. And even now it's consulting, but it's a job now, right. you know? It's yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, you want me to give some background on myself? Please do. Yeah, cool. So I, you know, I, I ran this company called Choose for about 10 years and I started it in college. And so interestingly, I started it when I was about 19 or 20 and then I recently sold it at about 30. So it really was my 20s in the best and the absolute worst ways. Wow. You know, it was my identity for a long time. And I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is helping founders find that balance and that kind of identity balance, not just work-life balance, but like how do you find value in yourself even outside of the performance of the company, especially in startups, where performance is just, you know, you don't know what you're going to get and you're going, you're, you know, shooting for the moon. And so um, just a little bit of background, I grew up in LA and my parents were entrepreneurs and it was kind of from them that I think I've always had it in me. I told them I would never be an entrepreneur because they worked so hard and they'd fight all the time. And, uh, and then of course, when I was in college and I started on the side, I was doing a lot of event planning with restaurants and I found that these restaurants were looking for business and these student organizations were looking for local catering from restaurants. And so that's kind of how Choose was born. And I started it, you know, with basically an e-fax line for 10 bucks a month and a Microsoft Word document template. And I just started to transact orders and take a commission. And then eventually met my co-founder, raised about $40 million in VC, moved up to the Bay Area. And I've lived in the Bay Area for the last eight years. Um, and now on to my next journey, which I'm sure we'll touch on at some point. Wow. Wow. And so famous last words, I'll never start a company. Yeah. <laughs> God. So, so what changed for you? What really inspired you to arguably like behave contrary to like words you spoke earlier? Was it the service? Was it the thrill of building something from scratch? Was it seeing customers really happy with what you did and feeling a sense of like opportunity to, you know, make a difference? Yeah. I mean, think about it. I was like 19. I'm in college. I'm going to USC. And everybody's getting ready for recruiting. All the juniors and the seniors are getting ready to go into investment banking for the most part or consulting with the big four. Like that was a accounting. That was kind of like my school. I was in the undergrad business school. And just, I could not stomach, I couldn't stomach seeing it. I couldn't stomach the idea of myself working a corporate job like that. And, and I don't know where that came from, but I do like, I remember even back in high school and even early on my first like mini business was a Pokemon trading card business where I almost got kicked out of my elementary school for just like selling cards on campus. So I, I think there's always been this like 
kind of fun game in adding value in the transactions. And, and so for this specific idea, it was natural. And I didn't have any student debt, thank God. Um, I didn't have any obligations, really. I could sleep on my parents' couch for the first year or two. I paid myself like 30 grand, you know, of a salary for the first year, which when you're leaving college is so much money. That's like a crazy amount of money. So I just had, I was really carefree. And so it was natural. It wasn't so hyper thoughtful. I didn't have to do a pros and cons list. I just kind of ran myself into doing it. Now, I think doing it a second or third time around, I have to give kudos to anybody who makes that choice, knowing exactly what it means to sink a decade of your life into the work that you do. But for the first time around, it felt much more simple, which is why I'm a big fan of, of younger folks and especially folks like leaving college, you know, finding ways to start a business because it can be really capitally light and efficient to do it at that time. Wow. Thanks for sharing. And, you know, as you built to what, well, you know, became Choose eventually from the couch in your parents' lounge room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, My mom was our well, accountant too. <laughs> you know, how long and, and at what point of Choose's like growth journey did you realize, oh my God, I've got to grow just as fast to keep up with this baby? Hmm. I, I started to notice when I, when we hit about maybe about over 10 people that my insecurities started to creep up on me. And so I remember you, you tie up your normal insecurities, plus this like very high stress environment, plus running out of cash. So we were, we were going to run out of cash within six months. And, and I was so stressed and I was so scared and the fundraise looked like it was not going to go well. And that was mostly like my inner saboteurs saying that. Right. But like also every other founder had all the horror stories from fundraising. And, and one of my good friends told me, she's like, fundraising is the most psychologically damaging thing I've ever done. It's like, Oh, good. So when I went into it and I had myself just been off the backs of two seed financings, um, one in particular, which was really hard and 11 months long. So this third one I was going into, we were six months away. My co-founder, you know, I, I was, I remember being in the loft that we were in, in San Francisco and I was so like emotional and so I, I tapped him on the shoulder. I was like, can we go for a walk? And we walk around the block and I'm just like crying. I sit on a stoop and I just start sobbing. I was like, I was like, I don't, I would be so sad not to work with these people and to disappoint them. And he's like, you know, he's like, first off, it's okay to be sad. I was like, what? Like I'm, I'm like half Chinese, half Jewish, like, like feelings like that. No, like sadness is not okay. It's like, it's okay to be sad. Like it's okay to be afraid. These are like normal human emotions. And I was like, okay, sure. And then he says, you know, you could also share this vulnerability with the team. I'm sure they would feel more connected to you. And I told him flat out, I said, no, you're crazy. No way I would do that. They'd be terrified. And, and I think that was, you know, it was around that point that I started to realize, like I was having these, these emotional spirals and it was happening pretty frequently. And, and that's where I realized I was hitting kind of my limits and, and that day, actually, I had a breakthrough where I did end up sharing with the team and all hands how I felt. There was not a dry eye in the room. And it was a real bonding moment for us. And through that six months, nobody left the company, even though we were very candid about the runway that we had. And, and I realized like, huh, there's some, there's like this emotional progress and growth that we, that I could be growing into more. Like I just scratched the surface of it at that moment. And that's kind of what led me on the journey through like reboot and getting coaching and, and to where I am today. Wow. Thank you. And, um, you know, and it, wow, there's just so much ground 
that one can cover in your 11-year journey we choose, <laughs> 11 plus years. Thanks for sharing that area of growth for you. And you know, looking back now that you've exited and who you are today after that journey, like how does how does that compare? You know, your relationship with yourself, with other people, and innovation itself. You know, to be completely candid, I don't know if it's my relationship with myself is better or worse than when I started. You know, in some ways, you're kind of young, naive, and action oriented, and you just dive in and do it. And now it's almost like I know too much. And I also have the self-awareness to start to see the contours of my mind. And so I've been thinking about it a lot this week and, and even throughout COVID, right? When you're sitting at home alone and right now I'm on contract working with a good friend of mine and um, at his company called Mercado. And, you know, I'm taking on this like very important project for the company it's, and it's everybody, you know, it's got a lot of input from around the company, and I see my, my inner demons all around, but I see them now for what they are, but I see them. Whereas before I didn't, I just reacted to them, but it's almost worse to have the awareness in some ways where I, I, I notice like, wow, I'm just, this is just a thought. It's not even legitimate. And then it's like, wow, how many of my other negative thoughts aren't legitimate? And where are my other boundaries that are self-imposed? And what could I actually get done if I just didn't put so much weight into what my demons would say? So. I think there's definitely a heightened sense of awareness that I have being a founder. I think the other thing is I, I do realize the power of vulnerability. Whereas I didn't, I wasn't in touch with that side of myself. I wasn't in touch with understanding my emotional landscape. I'd never gone through therapy, like through choose. I had a therapist. I had a coach. I had co-founders. I had a COO. I had my board. I had advisors. Like it takes a village to raise a company. And it takes a village behind the CEO to support her in also growing the company. And so I learned to like rely on people more as well. And so I think all of my perspectives around leadership have really shifted and changed. And I saw that our, our biggest moments happened when I was the most real with the company. Like when I shared with the company, I'm scared, you know, and this is hard on me. And the company just like was awash with sort of a shared emotion, but also dedication to what our goal was. So I could go on and on with that, but that's like the first, the first year of it. Wow. Amazing. And, and would you say that, you know, what are some of the most memorable or proudest moments you've had as a founder building choose for over a decade, actually? The, the sad uh, initial response that I had was like proudest moments. I could tell you all my worst moments. It's very difficult to come up with a proud moment. And, and even now I sort of struggle with like, as I've sold the company, trying to reimagine the story of the company. And instead of seeing it negatively, looking back at like, what was I really proud of? I think one of the, so I'll talk about um, first off my board, you know, my board that I, you know, hand selected, we were a really tight, very high functioning board, in my opinion, not perfect, but we, we would start every board meeting and they would laugh to hear this, but we'd start every board meeting with, um, if you really knew me, where we'd say, if you really knew me, you'd know dot, dot, dot. And you'd give everybody like a couple minutes and it was a vulnerability exercise. And like that board, you know, because we were real with each other, didn't mean that that, that stopped disagreement, but we could kind of work through disagreement and we had really high trust. They had really high trust in me and I could call them at any point and ask them about anything and they would help me through it. And that was just, so I'm extremely proud of that board and, and, you know, trickling down from that is the team too, right? Every team member that we selected that 
we'd, we'd pour energy into. I mean, some of my proudest moments with the team are probably the moments of, of growth, like where I could help somebody grow. And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of come back to that. I think the other thing is the culture, you know, I made a real concerted effort at, at some point. I, I went to this thing called the CEO bootcamp and sponsored by a program called reboot and Jerry Colonna and, and that whole grew and they've really shaped me. And going into that reboot, I, uh, it was a group of about 10 CEOs from all walks of life and from pre fundraising to exit and earnout. And not one of us was happy. You know, we all struggled with something and, and that was eye opening for me. And, and at one point we started to talk about bullying and that's where it became really clear to me that my story, like I was bullied when I was young and I started to talk about that. And I shared that, like, I was bullied so badly. I used to eat lunch alone in the bathroom and that was really painful for me. And, and Jerry kind of looks at me and he's like, so what does your company do again? And my company, yeah. we help support <laughs> group meals at offices. So nobody eats lunch alone. And I'd never made that connection. And I was three to five years into building the business. And so I think my proudest moment wasn't uncovering that, but was bringing it back into the company and imbuing it into the brand of the company and the mission. And we became what we called a love and excellence company, which was, you know, the two pillars of caring for the human and wanting high growth and performance, which sometimes some people see as being at odds with each other. And we saw as supporting and elevating each other. And that culture, you know, like it, it, a lot of kinks to work through as any culture does, but that was a culture based on like, you know, if there were issues, we'd talk about it pretty directly. If there were lack of trust issues, we'd be able to talk about it. And I personally worked to create that kind of safety where people, you know, could come to me and say that they weren't feeling comfortable. We also had open and transparent salaries because I started to realize as I was hiring that we were underpaying women um, because they weren't negotiating as hard. And, uh, and so we, we created a system based on, on merit for, for compensation, both stock as well as uh, cash compensation. So I think there are a lot of progressive things that we did with the culture that helped boost performance. And man, like even though we were in a tough industry and highly competitive landscape, working with third party courier networks to do deliveries, but we really did execute. And I think about just like, even though it wasn't the outcome of like going public and being this like big public company that I wanted, our execution and our top moments was so high and working as one team, you know, those, those were the happiest moments for me when they were high trust, high movement environments. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. Very That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing all that. And, you know, just to switch it up a bit, you're now out of the company, you're consulting after being a founder and CEO for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> more than half your, more, uh, most of your life, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, almost, almost half your life. Yeah. What's the transition like? You know, how, how did you restabilize what's important in your life, reprioritize your day to day? Because mm. I, I don't anticipate that, that you just woke up the next morning and go, yep, I know what to do with time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about my mind sometimes as it relates to work as being this barnacle that's like suctioned on to like a seawall. And like when I'm in work mode, I'm just like, I could just grind and grind and grind at the expense of my relationships, my mental health, um, my fitness. And so what I've been working to do, and it's actually been really helpful being, you know, working with uh, working at Mercado is just learning 
to actually like create a little bit of space between that barnacle and like being suctioned to work. And when I do that, I actually enjoy my work better and I'm more creative with it. I just have more fun with it and I appreciate the people in it more. So I think the transition has been, you know, kind of separating that barnacle a little bit. So what does that look like? You know, three times a day, I stop, I do a mini meditation and um, I'll usually do like 10 sit-ups or 10 push-ups just to like get in my body throughout the day. And then the other big thing is surfing, you know, and, and John and I know each other through surfing. We literally met out in the water and surfing is an important part of my life. It always has been, but it's usually like weekends. Um, I would try to sneak it in in the mornings during the week and maybe once I could do it, maybe twice and then vacation. But now it's like, how do I make this a daily practice? But also I have noticed with surfing that I start to throw my identity into it just like I did with shoes. So I think the transition is learning that there is, I am a whole center in and of myself, no matter what I achieve or produce or how many miles, you know, do I learn how to do a surfing cutback better? Do I ride bigger waves? It's like, that's all great, but that's like a journey that should be born out of joy and curiosity, not out of identity development and worthiness. And so I'm trying to, to separate those things out, which is been an important goal of this transition for me and and also to learn I'm, I'm a natural people pleaser and to the point where if my boyfriend asks me what do you want for dinner I have to like walk into another room to like really know what I want because I'm so tuned into what other people want and so learning like hey it's okay to say what you want and now that I just don't have as much of the stress that's like cramming in on every you know corner of my being I can kind of think about some of these personal development areas more. So I think uh, really lovely sharing. And I think the only time you should bake surfing into your identity is after you get a barrel, right? Like that's an exception. Well, you know, I had a question and I, I think it slipped to my mind, but. Um, we talk about surfing the rest of the time. I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, uh, you know, now that you are having space to, you know, do a bit of personal development and, you know, not pressure yourself to fig- have everything figured out is the next step in life. Um, how do you, how do you, what sort of thoughts have you had around, you know, is there another startup in me? <laughs> is there a problem I'm seeing in the world that I'm, I'm feeling compelled to act upon? Like, can you talk us through a bit of that process and, and how you manage that without, you know, baking your identity. Yeah. I mean, when I started choose, it was off of a very localized problem that I was feeling really immediately as an event planner. I did no market analysis. I did no sense of Tam. I, I didn't look at competition. I just went for it. Um, which is pros and cons, right? I was friggin' able to do it immediately. I think this time knowing more of what I know, and the world has changed so much in, in a decade. <clears throat> I'm One of my processes, there's a few things now. And TAM and strategy is part of it. But the other part is like, what? Like, I have this unique skill set now at a uniquely young age, right? Having run a company for a decade at 30. And so I'm like, okay, what are the problems that I actually really, really care about? And how do I apply the most force to it? Because with Choose, it was a localized business problem that I then uncovered sort of the mission in the world that I wanted, which was more authentic connection. But now that I know that authentic connection matters and authenticity and strong leadership and reaching across the divide, right? 
now I can work backwards and I can go, now what are the area sets that I want, given that I know this kind of unique personal mission? And so a few areas come to mind for me. One in particular is the fact that, you know, today the environment is so politically charged that we can't talk to each other, you know, unless we agree, which is extremely dangerous. Is that when I was in um, high school, I started this group called the Elizabeth Stanton Political Society, and it was dedicated every quarter. We had a new political topic and we would have one person represent you know, the right and one person represent the left. And we would have discussions, open debates, you know, we'd have fundraisers around it, but like it was dedicated towards like, how do we have open dialogue? And I think the world needs this a lot right now, especially a world that's in COVID isolation. And so that's kind of, and and I'm turning on my curiosity brain. I'm like, okay, what's an area I, I don't know about, you know, what about media? Right. That's new for me. And there's a part of me that goes like, wait a minute. No, I, I know marketplaces, local marketplaces, you know, around prepared food delivery. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? It's okay to be a beginner again. It's okay to be a novice. I have my whole life to be a novice, which is actually kind of thrilling if I don't attach my ego to it. So that's the beginnings of the journey. And I don't, I'm trying not to rush myself, but I am a little bit. <laughs> I am, I can feel it. And, and so I'm, I, I'm trying to be a little bit patient. That's wonderful. So what's Tracy going to be up to next? We'll keep our viewers in suspense. Um, <laughs> before we tie this lovely short video interview uh, up together, um, Tracy, is there anything else you want the viewers, the audience to know? I think I just wish for myself looking back on the company and building it. I wish I had been more honest with the things that I wanted to bring into my style of leadership and running the culture earlier. It took me about five years to get to a place where I felt that confidence. And I don't know if that's because I'm young or because I'm a woman. I'm not exactly sure. It might just be a thing that was unique to me. But I also think that there is a, an ethos of the cultures that dominate today that are very much about like it's all performance and there's no humanity in it. And I thought I was be, going to be perceived as soft. Right. And I, I even had an investor tell me they wouldn't invest because I wasn't out for blood. And so that that was one of my that was my second financing. And that scarred me, you know. But at the end of the day, I I wish I had brought out this like more human side um, sooner and leaned into driving performance harder, like leaned into both extremely hard. And I'm still learning how to do that. But as long as I don't see see it as like left and right, like opposite sides of the brain, but things that work together, I guess I would just urge anybody in the audience that thinks this way, you know, and 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 thinks however different, how, whatever this way is, it might just be differently from the norm to actually like get real and honest about it and bring it because like part of the joy of running a business is not the outcome. <laughs> Say most of the joy is not the outcome in an industry where most companies fail. It's the process. And I, and I hope that at the end of it, you're able to answer that question of like, what are you the most proud of? And be able to clearly identify that it's independent of the results. You could be proud of the results too, but that there was a piece of, of kind of your brand and the things that you care about in the mission that were imbued in the company in a way that made every day meaningful. It doesn't have to be joyful all the time, but at least meaningful. So I wish I had done that sooner. And I urge others to think about it honestly. Beautifully said. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, beautifully awesome. said. Great words of yeah. wisdom. Thank you, Tracy. Mic Thank drop. You so much. All right. <laughs> Thank you both. <laughs>